dog starts barking, it reminded me of like a sublime song of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, waiting for my Ruka is the song. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had a run. They Sublime did have a run. They had like, a run. Sublime was my shit for like a solid me, year and a half. Me, me too. Um, I would say probably more than that, to be honest with you. And I well, would say that if like, a Sublime song came on right now, I'm singing that song in my head right now. I like yeah, this. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I was, I heard the reggae version of 5446 was my number. Yeah. And was like, man, Sublime kind of killed this. They fucking murdered. I mean, that's that's a ri- yeah, well, Toots and the Maytals is the original. Yeah, yeah, Toots and the Maytals. The original, yeah. But that's a great song, too. But it's, the, yeah. That's, that's that whole record, 40 Ounces of Freedom, holy shit. It's fantastic. And the, sec- <laughs> the, the next one is good, too. A- anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sublime. Um, <laughs> that shit when it came out, son. <laughs> I, I burned it on this. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, tentatively titled. I'm Dave. I'm George. What's going on out there? We are recording from the land of the Lenape and Canarse tribes, a.k.a. Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. Just for accuracy's sake. I just want to say thank you guys. Any Anyone who listened to the first episode, we appreciate it. We're still kind of getting our footing here. We're still kind of understanding, you know, how to do this and, and in every sense of that. So thank you for sticking with us and, and being patient. And I think uh, hopefully you're, you're going to like today's show. We are uh, going to be talking about action movies today and, and what uh, those are all about and a lot of the characters and making comparisons to things that you might not think they have anything in common with, which uh, is what we do here. But That's correct. Well said, sir. Thank you, George. We are going to first go to a segment formerly known as Corner Talk, now known as Bar Talk. George and I both being former slash current slash future maybe bartenders, if that's a thing. Very fluid. It's all up in the air. So we'll... It, it, it sure is. Now. My, my trade is a bartender, but we might be looking for something else to do. Who knows? Sure it might be. Um, We're still in, a, in limbo. That being said, uh, one of the things I think, you know, speaking for myself and, and for George, I believe that we really enjoy about the job is we get to talk to people and we get to, to you know, expand upon some things that we might be thinking about and, and get other people's ideas and... and you know, that's kind of the best part of the job, the back and forth. So uh, it, with that in mind, I'm going to ask George, what's happening in your bar today? Uh, I'm going to be short and sweet. We were, it's funny that we were talking about like um, our opening segment is like um, as being bartenders. And I want to shout out to to my friends in uh, New Orleans, the uh, the Ambers, the uh, Karens, the Colleen, the Rachels, Brett and Becky's. Patrick's, all my friends in New Orleans who are without bars and restaurants as of right now. But one of the things that stinks about COVID is New Orleans and Louisiana opened itself up. The unfortunate thing is those states that are, I'm just going to say Alabama, Mississippi, and those neighboring states decided they weren't going to follow the rules. And they had an uptick in COVID cases and have closed bars indefinitely. So no to, no, no bars open and no, uh, no to-go drinks, which is kind of like a lifeline of the city. I mean, that's what New Orleans Trump. does, right? That's what they do. Restaurants who were trying to like stay afloat were doing to-go drinks, and now that's the thing that nobody's doing anymore. So restaurants are just doing to-go food. Uh, and anybody's ever been to New Orleans, I've been many times. I go every year. It's one of my favorite cities in America, if not my favorite city, because it's a lot of different things. 
feels like you're kind of in this weird kind of oasis in, in America that's that's a lot that's that's gay, that's black, that's like we're there whatever it is, we're into it. It's one of those places where it's familiar to and similar to a lot of different things, but yet it's its own complete unique thing. Amazing city for us. Yeah, no, it's uh it's there New York has got several of different industries. Publishing is very New York. Wall Street is very New York. Fashion is very New York. New Orleans industry is hospitality. And it's a town that's basically known for their whole thing is like, come to our town. We're going to feed you. We're going to show you a good time. And for them to not be able to do that kind of kind of stinks right now. I mean, it's a resilient city. They were able to make their way through um, Katrina. And they'll make their, they'll survive through this. But right now, it just kind of stinks for all those folks. So shout out to my friends in New Orleans. And uh, it's going to get better. What's on your bar? First, I, I second that about New Orleans. It's just an amazing place, and it is very, very scary. And you just feel for for places like New Orleans and, and everywhere that are having to you know make these kind of tough decisions and, and operate in in a certain way and keep everyone healthy and safe. And so you know we all have to be conscious and aware of that, uh, especially if you are going out and, and anywhere. Yet. Anyway. What I want to do with uh, my bar talk is I want to kind of open it up and, and have a discussion about something. It's kind of something I, I like to do at the bar. It's going to be kind of a long walk, apologize, but stay with me. I'm going to involve George. And I want to talk about award shows. And I want to talk about them in a lot of different ways. You know, this is something that I maybe have kind of ranted and, and raved about before. And, and I'm trying to take a new approach, although I'm sure there's going to be some ranting and some raving in this segment, but I want to talk about them. And for, cause you know, the Emmy list just came out and honestly, especially if you're someone like me who doesn't fully pay attention to when these things are, it feels like there is a new award show every fucking week or, or some award show. I mean, I, it's too much. Uh, but anyway, but first I want to ask you, George, what are some of the things, and this, you know, I'm talking about generally awards for the arts. And so for music and for film and, and writing and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, but I want to ask you first, George, what are, what are some of the good things about award shows and, and awards in general? You know, some of the things we like or, or the positive things. You know, the only thing I've actually really ever enjoyed is I like seeing a bunch of very good-looking people dressed up. And it happens to be on a Sunday night, which there was nothing else going on. It's always in the month of February, which is kind of like a weird month for sports anyway. The Super Bowl has just ended. The uh, little cameo from Gladys, my cat. The Super Bowl is just like, the Super Bowl has probably already been played. Or it's like it's in between that week, between the, the championship game and the Super Bowl. Basketball is usually not being played on Sunday because it's like going up against that time spot. It's just not going to work. Maybe they'll play something that day, but they're not going to play it that night. And uh, some of the performances from award shows, music, have actually been wildly entertaining. In fact, I find myself reading Twitter the next day of what performances were really good. And it's sometimes, usually when they do the Grammys, it's like a mashup of somebody who's like in one genre doing something in another genre. And that can be wildly entertaining. As a whole, I haven't watched, I haven't sat through an award show in quite some time. The only performances I will watch are bands that I already like, so. Yeah, I, I, I second that. I, I would say I would piggyback on that to, to, just to talk about more of the positive things that we like. And, and you know, it's funny to say to, to uh, the people looking pretty and dressing up, but that is a, a lot of what it is. You know, but I, I will second, especially the Grammys, I don't watch the show, but I do look for the performances because some of them are just incredible. Uh, Kendrick's performance from like a couple years really ago, where, and that was like, 
unbelievable. But also one of the things that is a positive, although I would, I would argue that it's, it's ultimately a negative, but, but it is a positive in, in the way that things are constructed as they are, which is that it's good for people. It's good for actors and, and musicians and writers and directors and, and everybody. It's good for, for you. If you can say, I am an Academy Award, not even winner, nominee or Grammy nominee or, or whatever, that's, that could make your career. I mean, that, that no, makes, it, and it directly makes you money and, and able to continue to do the work. Ultimately, I, I don't think that's, you know, the most po- positive thing in general, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay, now, now I want to ask you, what are the things that you don't like about the award shows? You kind of talked about a little bit, but what, what are some of the other ones? They're too long. Um, Way too long. They're like Oscars is four hours. hours. Yeah, they're, they're a little too long. It's, oddly enough, not great television. Television is supposed to, like, I guess, drive some sort of, sort of suspense. And like I said last week, sports is a TV show, and there's supposed to be, like, suspense, and you got storylines. At the end of the day, award shows are not, Great television. Nobody's going to go is walking home empty-handed. You're going to win something. Uh, and usually, like, the record of the year or the best movie of the year is not really, I thought, the best movie or the best record that came out that year. So, of course, that's all subjective. The yes. hosts are not good. Generally, no. Occasionally, you'll get, like, you know, a line or something that uh, is funny and, and, and goes in a soundbite. But uh, if you watch the whole monologues, usually there's going to be equal things that are going to make you just absolutely cringe and want to throw something on the TV. You can't have like legit comedians on there because like, uh, yeah, they act like they're in a comedy club. Yeah. Well, I mean, also famous people don't like to be made fun of by no. somebody who's not one of them. So that's the reason why like your John Stewart's and your Letterman's and your Chris Rock's will never be good at that sort of thing. is because they're making fun of people who are there. It's like, it's, I can make fun of like my family because I'm, Part of the family, but as an outsider, you can't make fun of them. To me, the last good host of any award show was Billy Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even he, that's that's more to the point too of like you know he they liked Billy Crystal because he's safe, and, yeah, and anybody who does a good job, so to speak, they don't get brought back because they piss people off. Exactly what you're yeah, saying. yeah. Is those people don't like to be made fun of. But that brings me to the other thing to me that I see as one of the biggest problems is that, you know, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, it, saying that you don't agree with the winners and stuff sometimes, is that it's exclusionary. It's exclusionary by design. There's only so many things that are represented, and the amount of art and things that are produced, it's like the smallest, most minuscule amount of the things that get chosen for these award shows. And we know that they don't get chosen necessarily because they are quote-unquote good or, or even popular. It's, it's, it's really very political. They, they pick, especially with the Academy Awards, they pick like hot-button issues. And usually it's stuff they get criticized for, which we've seen the last few years of not having, having representation. Women and, and people of color barely ever being nominated or winning, which is ridiculous. You know, but that's not even... Partially I'm thinking about the Emmys this year and we can never include everyone with something that is designed to be exclusionary. And case in point, this year, there's a show that they tried to kind of give love to, rightfully so, which is Pose, which if you're not watching, you should. I am woefully behind. I have to give a shout out to my good friend, Carlos, Carlos Cruz Velasquez. He's been praising 
post since it aired, and uh, I'm sorry I'm late to the party, but I'm, I'm here now. I recommend it. It's, it's very good, and it's a show that, especially for white, cisgender, heterosexual men like myself, it gives us insight into a world that we have no idea about. And that is necessary. That's learning, right? Bringing back to, to the shows is, you know, Pose was nominated for, for a few awards, and the only person that was nominated for it was Billy Porter. He's wonderful. But the trans community was upset because there are, it's about trans people, and the actors are trans, and they didn't get any love. And also, these, these trans and non-binary, they're so underrepresented. And I'm not talking about a trans character that was played by a fucking cisgendered person. Uh, right, right. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor, I'm looking at you. People of all walks of life and identities are making art. And not everyone is represented by these shows. And I would pretty much argue that you can't, you, you can't represent anyone with these shows. But, but even, we can talk about that a little bit more, but, but even if you did, like, you know, I, looked at, I was looking at the Academy Awards and I, I looked at, uh, I was looking at 1987 for whatever reason. And this is t- talking about the way that what we value and what we think is good and what we put in certain categories. And one category that I think that George would agree with in, in that it's uh, underrepresented but should get love is comedies. Comedies, like, never get love. They have comedy or musical and the Golden Globe or whatever. Stupid. So I was thinking about one that was definitely underrepresented, which in awards and, and award nominations and stuff, which is Hollywood Shuffle. It's a great fucking movie. 1987, Robert Townsend. Hilarious commentary. As Jordan and I talked about uh, this movie just not too long ago, as George said, it's maybe too good because it's still applicable to today. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's definitely ahead of its time. That came out in 1987. Platoon won the Oscar in 1987. One of 16 war movies that have won an Oscar. So my point about representation is also what do we need? I mean, do we need another fucking war movie that wins a fucking Oscar? But, okay, so... Just to bring this home and, and to, to, like I said, look at this in a different way is I want to kind of go back and forth and what can we do? What, what, what should we do? I mean, first, I guess I'll ask you, should we even have award shows at all? They're for a certain group of people. Like, for example, I bet you if you asked Ice Cube whether or not he would rather have won or been nominated for Straight Outta Compton or the movie making a quarter of a billion dollars. I think he would be like, I don't give a fuck about the Oscars. My movie just made a quarter of a billion dollars. So it's like golf and tennis is like, there's some people who are really into it. I'm going to be talking about that later, but it's like, uh, it's not for everybody. And the fact that we shouldn't try to force feed that to anybody if they're not interested in eating I, I agree. It's definitely a niche thing. And, you know, I think the conversation of, of whether or not they should exist at all is a conversation that, that, you know, we, everybody should have or as a society but uh let's let's just say that we do keep them and uh i would ask you is there anything that you could think of that would make them a little better or a little more more inclusive or or uh you know even even more entertaining to watch i mean i definitely agree with you i think we can cut like an hour out of them right off the bat i mean they are so long, it just becomes like a... You know, the other thing I should take their cues from TV shows. Instead of making it a four-hour show on a Sunday, why don't they make it a half-an-hour show every Sunday 
and turning it into a TV show and maybe show like all the aspects of it, show the behind the scenes of like, maybe show the people who are voting and like what they thought, then make it a TV show and make it an event over the course of like a month and a half. That might be something I would probably be more interested in. Turn it into like hard knocks of uh, of, 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 uh, of <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Maybe care about things that I probably wouldn't care about, like a tight end who's like the uh, who's a walk who basically was a walk on who's trying to make the team. <laughs> like and, I never and you that. never know about him by, by the time the season started because he's already gone. But his yeah, story right. is worth hearing and compelling. Yeah, it turned turn it into a story because like, totally. there is no drama in the in those award shows. I think you're on to something there. I will add another layer to that. And how about it's not some stupid fucking governing body or whatever who's deciding on these things, but it's all of us. It's all the people that fucking have seen the things and heard the things. And so it's like, you know, to, like I, if you said, if it's like a month long thing, so make it like an American idol and, and everybody can vote and, and, you know, because it's all, it's all subjective anyway. Like we were saying, yeah. if, if we're going to have them, we shouldn't put that much fucking import on them, you know, because like I said, it, it's, it's exclusionary. An, another fun idea I had, which is like, just do away with categories altogether. Cause, because there's no actors and actresses. They're just actors. They're just roles. It's, it's not, it's all it, you know, and whatever gets highlighted gets highlighted, <laughs> I guess, you know, whatever people vote on. So, uh, you know, dial, uh, seven, seven, seven for, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, George, see, George Gordon's next comedy album to win the Grammy. And then you'll see, like, um, the winners every year are going to be whatever crappy comedy on CBS is and whatever whatever uh, record. <laughs> so uh, two and a Half Men, the prequel. Yeah. Yeah, Young young Sheldon's Baby. or whatever. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> uh, Those are the people who vote. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a good bar, bar talk segment. Like I said, it's not, we're, we're not necessarily going to solve anything overnight or in this conversation, but, you know, think about these things in a different way. I think it, it's helpful. We just mash them up together and we don't and have America choose what category we should do this week. Oh, totally. We're either going to talk about record of the year or best original screenplay. It's like totally. a, you're going to choose your own adventure and then you just make it like a weekly show. It's like, uh, this person's got to leave the industry at the end of the episode. <laughs> You're never allowed to produce art again. Okay, maybe that's a little too extreme. But, but uh, yeah. You are now in quarantine and not able to make any more records or movies. You can do a lot with that. I, uh, I encourage everybody out there to uh, think of ideas, you know, um, on how to change award shows. Make award shows. shows yeah, they're never good. No, they have never been good. Make make them good for the first time. There was, there's never been there's never been like an award show that I was like, oh my gosh, they're gonna have to top that next year. Like I've watched some Mission Impossible movies and been like, well, Electric Boogaloo. There hasn't been one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's your next writing project. Um, the Grammys Part Four. This shit ain't over. Um, <laughs> they should probably embrace that. I, I agree. But that being said, let's uh, move into our main segment today, which is now titled, Who is the Who of What? That's right. Who is the Who of What? Today, we're going to be talking about action movies and their characters and, and kind of getting into it and making fun comparisons, hopefully. So, uh, George, you want to talk a little bit about, about action movies and maybe 
maybe their their tropes. Let, let's start let's start by like saying some of the things that are common in action movies and and maybe that we like that we don't like. At, at some point, we'll probably have to do like a a live recording or a recording in which like you get to see the video uh, because um, as you can see in my apartment, I uh, my my apartment is riddled with frame posters of action movies. It's probably my favorite genre of movie. Don't get it twisted, Liz. Uh, I do like rom-coms, but my, my favorite genre is action movies. Uh, and uh, the worse or the better. You gotta have, have there's there certain elements that I need in my action movie. I need that, like, I need a boss. I need a bad guy who is really going for it as far as, like, no, I'm the star of this movie, not our hero. Because this is the bad guy that's always going to, the people always remember. Yeah, some of the best ones are ones where the bad guy steals the movie, right? Yeah, well, the bad guy is like basically saying, uh, I don't know what movie that guy's in, but in my movie, <laughs> yeah. and it's I'm really, the hero. You know, the more interesting character, right? Because they got to come up with some reason for yeah. this person to do the destruction. Exactly. They got all the best lines. They probably get the hot girl. Uh, at, it's like they, they, they definitely have like our or in competition with the girl, with the good guy, for the most part. And there, there's a, there's always a hidden element of like thinking as like, you know what? How you're going about this is wrong, but you're making some really good points. <laughs> I, uh, I, that sounds funny, but I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Because usually they're talking about, it's, it's funny, there's like this trope in action movies and in superhero movies where the, the villain starts out as like, their ideas are altruistic, you know, of like saving the world, but they, they don't know how to process it and they just want to blow everything up and like start over, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, which metaphorically may, may be something we should look into, but actually blowing it up, that's, that's not something. I mean, there's, 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 there's some times and like you're watching, you're like, I, for example, you can make a case in the Karate Kid movie that Johnny may have been in the right the whole time. <laughs> Make that he case. went back the wrong way. He beat up this kid and continues to beat this kid's ass. But if you think about it, Johnny, he's he's got a, he's got a leg to stand on. Same. Well, all right, that's uh, something to think about. I would say free Johnny, free Johnny from yeah. from the chains of of being a hated character. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, he's one of the greatest '80s villains of all time. So. That it's like to, to get back on, on point here. So some of the things my research of uh, the good guys from some of my favorite action movies was uh, was the deep dive into some of their backstories, which I've always found to be interesting, and whether or not I think they're they're a good guy anyway. So I've decided we're going to do like another part of our, uh, our of our segment and uh, the who of the what. Uh, I've listed five some of my favorite characters from action movies and. Uh, Dave, I want to see if you could come up with the head coach equivalent. That's awesome. Um, I'm I'm very excited to get to that. I, I'm also going to pose to you. Rappers is is, is my my. I'm uh, ready. I'm ready. Who, uh, you know who who are the the action movie stars of, of the rap world? Um, just just to finish uh, a couple more things about action movies in, in general. It's usually some kind of a, a hero quest, right? It's not only is it a villain trying to trying to do something destructive or bad, but it's a, it's one person generally trying 
to fix it, uh, you know, which, uh, again, talking about <laughs> exclusionary, uh, not a lot of uh, great women characters in action movies, I'd say, is a common thing. There are some. There are some. We're going to get into that in a second. There are some. But what I would say to you, what I would say to you, and we can talk about this more later, is that, like, even if they are, they do have, like, a little bit of depth to them, like, I can't think of hard, I can't think of anywhere the hero is the woman. Like, is there a world for Die Hard, for John McClane to be a badass, but Holly is the hero? And I, I, I say, yeah, there definitely is a world. But, but I don't want to do, do that too much because we'll, we'll talk about that. But, the, but I just want to drop that seat because I was thinking about that myself because I have the same kind of, kind of things like, well, this, you know, especially Die Hard, for example, which honestly, that's going to be the first movie I want to talk about. So we'll just kind of get into that. But I, because I think it's a really good representation of everything that is great and bad about action movies. Because also, I must say, like George, I love action movies. I love them. And especially being a bartender, you know, coming home at two o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning and smoking a joint or whatever, uh, Marijuana, good thing, legalize it, tax the shit out of it, give the money back to the communities that have been destroyed by the drug war. Anyway, um, uh, that's my little pothead uh, shoot in there. But uh, my bar talk, before I said it on New Orleans, my bar talk was going to be talking about uh, a certain strain of uh, marijuana that's like a, maybe the downshift as well. I think we should talk about that maybe on another episode. Yeah, yeah. We can definitely talk about, I can talk about marijuana. But anyway, but my point is, you know, coming home and, and relaxing uh, from, from a night of work at a tough night or an easy night. And to be honest with you, you've never attended bar. Even the easy nights can also be tough are are tough. Um, but uh, anyway, I, there's nothing I want more than to just put on a, an action movie and like to have some stuff explode and to have somebody being heroic and a badass and, and all sorts of that. But back to Die Hard, just talk to, talk about Die Hard a little bit. Um, like I said, one of my favorite action movies, and it's a movie where John McClane, uh, which brings me to another point of the tropes of, of action movies, which a lot of the good guys are cops. It's definitely it's usually a cops versus bad guys situation. Not not always, but a lot of them are. The heroes are cops, and that's a whole other thing. Whatever. Um, let's talk about Die Hard. Die Hard. John McClane starts off. He's going to L.A. to rekindle or, or, or restart the relationship with his kind of estranged wife and, and two kids, Holly. First of all. <laughs> Does John McClane know what being separated is? <laughs> because he goes to LA, like she's she she has a job, a high-paying, high-power job. They have two kids, they're living there with the housekeeper. Does he think that he's just gonna show up and like they're gonna be like, let's go back to New York where you're a cop? <laughs> um, but anyway, John McClane, he goes to to Nakatomi Plaza where his wife works for what he thinks is a Christmas party. And it turns into a terrorist takeover led by the wonderful Alan Rickman, the late, great Alan Rickman, playing a very iconic character, Hans Gruber, who, again, is one of these guys who he has designs. He, he's one of these interesting, one of these cool action villains where what he's saying throughout the movie about, about what their MO is, uh, you know, which is like political 
freedom or freedom of, of political prisoners or, or whatever it is. Um, that's not really what they're there for. They're there to get money. That's, that's what they want. They want money. They want to take all of it. And he's got, you know, his merry band of, of crew and John McClane kills all of them. <laughs> uh, he basically kills all of them in like a very satisfying way, almost, almost all of them, with a little help from his friend Reginald Vell Johnson, who plays, again, another cop on, on the outside of the building, uh, helping him through. And, uh, and, and yeah, George, you want to share uh, some just initial thoughts about Die Hard or anything? So I did like a deep dive on uh, McClane. First off, uh, the character's boot was portrayed in Die Hard, Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard. The common theme is die and hard. Even if <laughs> die or nobody gets hard, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> Need movies. George Gordon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know, I try. The, uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis kind of made him famous, sort of put him on the map. So now when I was thinking of, of coaches, and I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you go first on all of these. But when I was thinking of coaches, Die Hard being probably the greatest action movie of all time. It's we'll just say it is. Uh, followed by Die Harder, which is uh, an entertaining movie, but like no one's gonna, no one's getting excited when Die Harder. I'm getting excited because John Amos is in it, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, Die Harder with, the with the John Amos. Shout out to John Amos. Uh, good times. Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is Samuel Jackson. To me, the action, I think, is actually kind of boring. And I, I'm more interested in John McClane and Zeus talking throughout the movie. I could listen to <laughs> for several hours. And then there's Live Free or Die Hard, A Good Day to Die Hard. One of the reasons why we mention those is because they are in the movie Pantheon. I have no idea what either one of those movies are about. I just know that Bruce Willis is in them. <laughs> so, I can confirm he is in, in them. He is in all of those. It's either him or a some sort of animated character like Tupac at Coachella. Well, so, <laughs> the funny he, thing is, is that what they did in the later ones is they made it his kids. He, he's still in, in them, but the last two, I haven't seen Good Day to Die, or I haven't seen that, and I won't. But, but I, I, am gonna, I am gonna stand up for, for Live Free or Die Hard a little bit, but that, but that will come later. But he is I, in there, and his kids are kind of the stars. I'm honestly, I think I'm okay I'm surprised I never saw that movie because uh, there's something aggressive about the the phrase "live free or die." Like, what state is it? is that? New Hampshire? It's just like it's it's, it's relax. Yeah, those <laughs> are the only two. Like, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, no, it's like that. That motto is like "live free or die hard." I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> I think that stupid state motto, and they turn into an action movie. Yeah, so, my question for you, Dave, starting with John McClane, who was the coach equivalent in sports today? Coach equivalent of John McClane. Okay, so you're looking at someone. I gave you the stats. Coach equivalent of John McClane. This, you know, this is maybe the first one that came to mind, but I'm going to say Popovich. He's Greg Popovich because I have deep, deep affinity and love for Greg Popovich and and for John McClane, even though, you know, I – like I said, there are some problems with them, but I love John McClane. I love Bruce Willis as John McClane. Uh, and why, one of the reasons I love him is because he has a sense of humor. He's hysterical. Um, there's, I, I, was, I started watching Die Hard last night. I didn't get through it because, again, I'm not, oh, Bar- 
I'm not standing bar right now, so I can't, I don't have the ability to stay up like <laughs> super late right now. Um, uh, so I, I didn't finish it, but, but there is some, some, I mean, he's so funny in, in all of them, but especially in this one, there's one, he's talking to the, the police chief or the deputy, Dwayne Robinson, who's outside and like trying to, he, he's trying to like wrestle control from, from the situation. And I, it's either after like John McClane sent the dead body over the, out of the window and, and he's like, the, the police chief is like, you know, we got, what are you doing up there? We're, we're all covered in glass. And John McClane is like, glass? Who's the fuck about glass? <laughs> it's just like, you know, while he's, you know, choking seven foot German dudes to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but but uh, very hysterical. Also, Greg Popovich, hysterical. Greg Popovich is hysterical. If you've never seen him talking on court interviews, he tries to give as little information as possible. Uh, rest in peace, Craig Sager. But when Craig Sager was was doing his thing and, and working the sidelines, him and Popovich just had a such a hilarious back and forth. Sager would ask him a question, and Greg Popovich would just start cracking on on Sager's uh, clothing, which he was known for wearing very colorful and wild clothing. Bad, bad suits. Very bad suits. <laughs> be honest here. Um, I saw him at a bar once. He's surprisingly very big. Really? Greg Sager? Wow. He's or very, very big. Like a 6'2", 6'3", which is why when you look at him in interviews, the players didn't tower over him that much. Yeah, that's surprising. That's interesting. I mean, a few of them had to lean down, but he was like, uh, he was every bit as tall as me. I summoned a bar in Atlanta. That's crazy. Um, I was like, is that fucking Greg Sager? <laughs> was he wearing a, an eyesore of a suit? That's, no. <laughs> um, um, so fucking annoying. Talk about but, being disappointed. Never meet your heroes, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to see him, you might as well see him wearing a polo shirt. Like shorts. this is like a, like a <laughs> yeah, it's like a middle-aged white guy who wears suits with like roses all over them and shit like we the worst like dookie brown plaid it was, it was gonna be a talking point like he had garnett on there and garnett was like my garnett. man he was like what are you he doing always used to go hilarious back and forth um but anyway not to get off on Craig Sager too much. John McClain is, is Popovich. Uh, also, why he is Popovich is because they both, they are fucking bad asses. They get it done. I know Popovich is not playing, but he's one of the best coaches ever. He has, he has the rings to prove it. And also, if you listen to any people talk about what it's like to play for Popovich, they all love him. They all love him. He treats people with respect. He, he listens to them. He, he doesn't treat them like kids. He treats them like adults. They love playing for him. And, and, but also, but he is, you know, again, he is kind of at, at least first a little bristly and a little ornery. He's got that old kind of angry guy, grumpy man type thing. And John McClain also pretty kind of ornery at first, uh, you know, in the 20 minutes or so that I did watch last night, it's funny to watch him interact with Argyle because the, the limo driver who, who is a very funny character, but he starts out John McClain like, you know, he's immediately, he sizes our guy up, sizing him up. And he's like this fucking guy. But throughout the conversation, because like they, he is like a real dude, he warms up to him and, and they become like buds. And then, you know, our guy helps him out at the end. So same with Popovich. He gets, uh, he gets people on his side and they're working towards common goal. All right. 
Greg Popovich, John McLean. Greg Popovich. All right, so I'm going to pick a rapper. So, and I want you to follow me all the way through with this. It's like, so I think that John McClane in the action movies is uh, the Nas of, uh, of rap games. Uh, here we go. So Die Hard comes out of the gate, probably the greatest action movie of all time. If you were in my apartment right now, you'd be able to see a 36 by 24 poster framed of the movie Die Hard. Uh, um, I can confirm it's there. Do not question George's love of action movies or of Die Hard. It's, it's massive. So, so Nas's first record, Illmatic, is as perfect of a record that has ever come out. So come out of the gate and that be your first record and Die Hard be the first of the John McClane series. I can see some parallels to that. And then you have Die Hard 2, Die Harder, which is, it was written. Now, it was written is actually rather enjoyable, but it's not Die Hard and it's not Illmatic. It's underrated, right? I mean, I think both, I think, both of I those things are underrated. I see because there's some, really, there's some really good songs in there. There's some good sequences in Die Hard, the, uh, in Die Harder. The, I don't love the, the setting the plan on fire, that that was a little much, but I do like the firefight at the church, which I thought was a lot of fun. It's one of those things with both with both Die Hard and with It Was Written is like in the first, you know, two minutes of, of free associating or whatever, I can't really think of things that stick out about both of those things. I can't, I know that I, I will know, would know some stuff, but I can't think of specific songs on It Was Written right off the top of my head. I mean, if I thought about it, I probably could, but I can't, and I can't think of like very specific things about Die Harder as well. But there's, there's stuff there, right? And uh, so we get to, like, the Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's probably, like, Godson, uh, <laughs> a record that's uh, that's enjoyable. And it's probably better when I watch it or listen to it now. When I, It's a movie that's, that's better when I watch it now because there's a great dynamic between Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis' character. And um, that record is, like, a, there, there's some really, really great songs in that record. I was like, oh, I forgot that that was a thing. And then the last two Die Hard movies are basically the last two or last few Nas records. I'm more interested in those other records. I've seen Nas in concert three times. It's like I'm more but, interested in other, I want to hear him do these other things and not. I agree with you, but I, I would even take it a step further and say that if you go into, I'm not going to speak to the last Die Hard movie. I, I, again, I haven't seen that. I'm not going to. It looks like a complete piece of trash. But, you know, whatever. It, it's a movie. It exists. I'm sure people, some people like it. And that's fine. I did listen to the last Nas record. But, um, but what I was, what was going to say is, you know, especially in Live Free or Die Hard and, and in some of those later Nas records, if you, there, there's stuff in there. There's stuff in there. Uh, but I agree. They're not, they're certainly not, you know, what the first few were. And, and it's not what I... When I think of Die Hard, I want to watch either one or three. Um, uh, and, yeah, and when no. I think of Nas, I want to listen to Illmatic or, yeah, maybe Godson. Yeah, no, White Label and Cop Shot the Kid is, uh, or basically like, uh, it'd be like if you took like two of your favorite scenes from Die Hard and you put them in a new Die Hard movie, it's like, or maybe he's reminiscing about that time. You're like, oh, that's how I would describe those two songs. I also think Hip Hop is Dead is a pretty good record as well. Uh, that is good. It's a little too long. Um, it, is, it is too long. Too long. Yeah, but that's got Black Presidents that song. Black Presidents. Oh. Um, Black, like Black, Black, Black Republicans. That's on that record. That, record, that song is so good. Yeah, I agree. But, but uh, I really like the rest of that record. Um, 
And then there's like some mixtape stuff in there. But but I, I love that. Na, Nas. Uh, John McClane is nice. Nas is the came, out, came out of the gig hot, cooled off, put out a record. It was like a Die Hard with a Vengeance is very rewatchable. The last two records, or the last two uh, Die Hard movies were kind of like, eh, I don't know. A little too much going on. I like Justin Long. I met him at a party. Very nice guy. Uh, <laughs> moving right up along. All right, so number two, I'm going to give, we're going to do Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver in Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. Great character. Uh, unbelievable. Um, uh, Weaver was nominated for an Oscar for the movie Aliens for Best Actress, which is insane because uh, science. Wait, she was nominated for Aliens? She's nominated for Aliens, yeah. Science fiction horror is not something that, that the uh, that the Academy actually ever puts like, com- like comedies, a underrepresented yeah. genre that we think of as just inherently lowbrow, which is not true. And also, there's nothing wrong with lowbrow. Like, yeah, there isn't anything wrong with lowbrow. No. Um, so she portrayed the character four four times. Uh, the the last two movies I think are good, not great. The first two movies I think are classics and and if you were in my apartment right now you would see <laughs> a 36 by 24 framed poster of the movie alien so it gives you an idea how much i i feel about this uh how much i love these these movies i love this movie so much that if i get a second cat i'm gonna name her ripley it's a great name for a cat it'd be one so, badass cat who so give me the cat? stats give me give me ripley stats ripley Played in the movie like four times by Sigourney Weaver. Originally billed, the first movie is actually originally billed as a movie starring Tom Skerritt. He was supposed to be the lead. Oddly enough, in the movie, on the movie poster, his name is actually first. They decided somewhere down the line that like the main character should be a woman and she's the one that, sh- she's the one that should survive. And the underlying theme through all of these movies is like, she's telling these men what is going down and nobody is listening. And when that shit goes down, they're like, we should have fucking listened to Alan Ripley because we're, now we're all dead as fuck. Yeah, that's kind of the plot of like all four of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, except, except throughout the course of them, she's, she doesn't give a shit. Like she, she stops caring. She's like, I'm just going to fucking be a badass yeah. and, and wreck shit. And you guys just get behind me, basically. So again, you don't have to focus on all four of the movies, even though I know you've seen all four of them. Like the, the last two are kind of, they're, I like four. The last two are actually one of them is actually legit scary. Like I like four. I like I Resurrection. Oh, Resurrection is good too. It's like you know what? Maybe I like the whole movie, the whole series. I like that one. I don't like three. The one in the jail. Yeah, that's David Fincher, and I think it's by far his worst movie. I I, um, I generally like him. That, yeah, I think they were trying like way too hard to be different. And I just don't like the aesthetic in the jail. I I don't know. I just. I watched I it recently and I just... The other day it was kind of like, meh. It was what they lose out on, like, the fact the second one and the first one are, like, legitimately scary. Like, I don't know if I was scared in that third one. The second one, because I saw these both, the first and second one I saw when I was too young, probably traumatized by, like, something. It was, like, basically, like, oh, oh. Like, yeah, I think something? you and a lot of people. Yeah. Very traumatized. Vividly seeing it for the first time thinking, oh, that's not good. The first one is... Very yeah, scary. Very good. All right, so who is the coach equivalent of Ellen Ripley? Ellen Ripley. Okay, so it probably has to be 
someone with some chips, right? Because, and this, this is in any, well, I, I think it does because Ellen Ripley is one of, I think, well, I think there might be an argument to have. I don't necessarily want to have it right now, but I think there might be an argument to have on how, like, is this an action movie? Are they action movies or are they space? Like, I don't know how to categorize them, but, but I, but I do kind of agree with you that they are action movies. Like I said, I don't really want to get into that right now, but, but I think it's that that's also something interesting about this whole thing of like how we categorize stuff. I don't, because action movies, I was looking, I mean, he put so many things into that umbrella, but anyway, um, focusing on Ripley, she def as a coach and, and I'm doing a coach of any sport, right? Of any sport. Okay. Um, she definitely has some chips, definitely a character that maybe people didn't take seriously. And then like they got fucked up. So maybe it's somebody that had a stop and then, went somewhere else and then had success or hmm, I don't know that that's a really, really good one. Uh, I'm going to cut all this out of me thinking about it. And make, make it seem like I thought of it right away. Uh, I'm uh, not going to lie. Like, I'm just going to say Ellen Ripley has got some chips. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and say, Ooh, Ooh. All right, some chips and some titles. I'm going to say she's Terry Francona. Terry Francona, manager now of the, the Cleveland baseball team, used to be manager of the good fucking <laughs> Boston Red Sox. Um, it took me a while, but, but I think Tito, his nickname's Tito, by the way. Um, Tito Francona. plus work he just put out there. Tito Francona. Uh, I think he's one of those guys because he, he won – a couple of titles with the Red Sox, but I remember when they hired him, I was living in Boston in college at the time, when they hired him, the narrative kind of was, we're giving this guy a shot. You know, he was, I think, a little younger and well-respected. I don't know if he had had a head coaching job before that or if he was an assistant, but he was definitely respected, but he wasn't like, when they hired him, it wasn't like, a, oh, they got Francona. Like, it's like a big name and... It's like this guy, you know, not like bringing in like a Lou Pinello or, or just somebody with, with a big name as a coach. But that being said, Francona, he grew with the team. You know, he grew with the team and he became a total fucking awesome manager. And he was doing all the things, uh, you know, making all the right moves, not, not, not guessing wrong very much. And, and also like, you know, those teams that won, that first Boston team that won, they were down 3-0 to the Yankees in the, the semifinal or the, the league championship series. So right before the World Series, they were down three games to none or 0-3, to which is unbelievably difficult to, to uh, come back from. In fact, before they did that, it had never been done before. I don't think never. it's been done I don't think so either. 3-1 for sure, but not 3-0. I think it's been done in hockey. As I was going to say, when it does happen, it happens in hockey. Because yes. like, playoff hockey is more up in the air. Yeah, and it's, it's like when people get hot, they, they, get, they get real hot. And, and, the, get hot so. and the difference, you know, in the game could literally happen in 15 seconds. Right. One, Jonathan Quick of the, the Kings who, as an eight seed, won the, uh, won the Stanley Cup. Yes. Yeah, that happens much more often in hockey than it does in any other sport. Well, but um, hockey. Playoff hockey is maybe the best playoff sport. I, honestly, I think it's it's the most exciting. Anyway, back to Francona and Ripley. 
Um, Francona is Ripley of coaching because also uh, not only did he, and, and she, like I said, she was kind of, they disrespected her. They did not, they did not, they did not listen to her in the first one. They did not listen to her in the second one. But guess what? She's always right. She's always right. And she's the one that survives. Spoiler alert. Um, but, you know, it's been 30 years. Uh, <laughs> she does survive. She survives. And, like and, and then I would argue that taking it to Alien Resurrection, where she comes back, it's many years later, and she comes back as like a, a replicant or, or a droid or, or whatever they call it. She's taking on like, you know, these younger people, like the times have changed and she's taking on these younger people. Winona Ryder is like, you know, her, she's mentoring her or whatever. And Francona, after winning the chips, he went to Cleveland to take like a young team to the next level. Now he is the guy. Now he's the badass. Now he's the one who's like, we're going to bring this coach in to win instead of we're going to bring this young guy in because we think he might be good where it's like Ripley is like oh she's starting to become that person and then by resurrection it's like she is she's now a replicant so she is a total badass and you can't destroy her and like she's part alien also and there's this whole fucking thing and they have like this weird relationship with the alien and it's so bizarre um but uh but yeah so uh Tito yeah. Francona is the Ellen Ripley of, of coaching all right, so the Ellen Ripley of rappers is going to be very easy for me because as much as I love Nas, as much as I love John McClane and the Die Hard movies, I am probably a bigger fan of Ghostface. So I think Ellen Ripley is the Ghostface of rap, and I think Alien is probably Supreme Clientele. Woo! I think Alien is probably Iron Man. I think Alien 3 is probably Fish Scale. Whoa! And then the Alien Resurrection is probably that last that Staten Island record with A Z on the cover. Or uh pretty the pretty Tony album, did you pretty mention Tony record? Which I like. Uh maybe because like uh I don't love the last one, so maybe like um Apollo Kids. Apollo Kids is yeah. Dope. So Ooh, wow. uh, that's uh lo- loving both Ellen Ripley and Ghostface, that makes me very happy. Well Ellen Ripley I think is an A plus action character one of the best of all time he kind of is and in a way because the first two are just so so the fuck is this the first one is i i like the second one too but the first one i mean it's one of the best like independent films it has all the trade it is an independent film was and, and and has all the trademarks it's a small movie it's not like this large expansive big world movie it's a small movie it takes place in, in a small location and it's basically like one thing, you know, for an hour and a half and it's awesome. It's Jaws of Space. Yes. But yeah. I would argue it's better than it's better than Jaws. 36 by 24 framed poster in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> does actually have all these posters. There's no wall space on his wall. I, I, like, I, I can never <laughs> leave this apartment because like that means I will have to like find some place that's just as big. And George lives in like a movie theater lobby from like 1995. <laughs> the hallway's even worse when you get down the hallway. Like, <laughs> all right, moving right along quickly, we're going to do uh, Johnny Utah, portrayed by Keanu Reeves. A little bit about Johnny Utah. He was a former Ohio State quarterback turned FBI agent 
Point, Point Break, Break, which becomes a cult classic, made $83 million for that wow. movie. Wow. Bigelow. I think the, uh, the actual, the actual, the movie actually only cost, I think, a little over $15 million. So, bit of a box office hit. That's, um, uh, that's a huge hit. That's awesome. Twenty-four million. Twenty-four budget. Twenty-four million. Box office. Eighty-four million dollars. Directed by Catherine Bigelow, like we've mentioned. Uh, a one-off character. My only, the only thing I have against this movie. It's not really a thing I have against this movie because I love this movie. Is that the bad guy, Bodie, is more interesting than the good guy, Johnny Utah. So. Coming out the gate, there's only really one of these movies, Point Break. It was remade a few years ago, but we won't talk about that. So, Point Break. Ooh. What is the coach of Coblenz? Of, of Johnny Utah. Of Johnny Utah. Okay. So, let's talk about Johnny Utah for a second. Johnny Utah is a guy, Keanu Reeves, who, first of all, he is young. He's, that's one of his, like, defining character traits, right? That he's young and inexperienced. He might not you know, people are questioning his ability to do his job because he is so young and inexperienced. And he's paired with a guy, Gary Busey, who is like the the vet, but also kind of like the laughing stock of the of the precincts, right? Um, and so they like they like kind of like team up together because they're like the outcasts of the of the department. But anyway, uh, so Johnny Utah, he's a guy that goes undercover. He he goes undercover to infiltrate this surfer uh, bank robber gang uh, led by Patrick Swayze, as you mentioned. And just also, this gang, this gang is awesome. <laughs> uh, as far as like movie villains go, I mean, they wear masks of ex-presidents and Rob Banks. It, that alone is awesome and interesting. A lot of great characters in that, in that, uh, in that group as well. Uh, and actors, James LaGrosse, uh, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anyway, focusing on Johnny Utah. And Lord, shout out to Lori Petty, the, the, the almost only woman in, in the film, but she does a great job. But so Johnny Utah, somebody who plays both sides, kind of, but, but he, I don't know. So taking it to coaching, I don't know if Johnny Utah has a chip. I don't know if Johnny Utah has ever reached the highest pinnacle, but he's somebody with promise because he is like a hot shot. And he gets in with this group and he's almost, you don't know if he wants to be more with them or more a cop for, for a short period of time at least. Would, would you agree with that? Um, or he's, you know, he's, he's, the lines are blurred of what he is willing to do. Okay. And, but he ultimately, you know, goes, goes butting heads with, with Patrick Swayze character because he ultimately is the principled one and he wants to bring him in and, and whatnot. And I'm I'm not remembering. Does Patrick Swayze die? Like I I remember the the last thing I remember is they jump out of the the plane or, or helicopter or whatever. They goes he goes uh, he finally tracks him down in Australia for like the thousand year wave. He goes out surfing and doesn't come back. So of course he dies. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. But 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 so Johnny Utah doesn't bring him in, right? No. Okay. So again. No chips, but somebody who is promising. I'm going to give you Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is the Johnny Utah of basketball, of coaching. Coaching. Say that because Brad Stevens is a guy, very young. When he first, I mean, he's, you know, getting a little gray now and 
aging a bit, the stresses of the job, and he's getting you know up in his 40s. But when he came in, you couldn't tell if he was one of the players or if he was one of the coaches or if he was like the water boy <laughs> or whatever. Uh, very young looking. Another guy, he came in with a lot of promise from college. He, he did great things at, at Butler. He took a, a, an organization that nobody thought was anything and, and made them into something. Uh, which I believe they're still like a pretty good program, right, Butler? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, and you know, so he, he's a guy who makes an impact. He's a guy who has new ideas. He's got new ideas, and he's he's another guy who, when he came to the leagues at Celtics, coach Celtics, a lot of people were questioning it. They were like, "Is this guy too young? Are his ideas going to translate from college to the pros?" And so far, he's had a pretty short career. And again, they haven't won any chips, but. I would say that he is a very good coach. He's a very good coach, and I would think that he would win chips in the future. And Johnny Utah is becoming a pretty good agent, and I think he'll make some big collars in the future. So, yeah, Brad Stevens is the Johnny Utah coach. Okay. I'll and, accept that. Good answer. All right, so as far as Roberts go, considering there was only one one movie and Johnny Utah has only been portrayed one time, the uh, the rapper that comes to mind for me, only because I don't know what happened to him, like after he put out that first record, but there was so much promise for this rapper. And I'm going to go with Keith Murray. Whoa. Uh, it's like Keith Murray had that had that, had that that album in the, the 90s. He had that single, The Most Beautiful Thing in the World. Keith Murray had a minute. Yeah, Keith Murray had a run. People bought that record. He was, he was associated with, with uh, with meth and red, and uh, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to uh, Johnny Utah to say, but like <laughs> Johnny Utah is a Keith Murray. That record still fucking bangs, just like that movie. It is uh, Keith Murray of the rock game. I'm I sure like Keith that. Still, still doing stuff and put out records, but uh, he, I, I'm pretty sure he he is. But but uh, you know, yeah, we love Keith Murray. I think Keith Murray actually may have did a may have did a stint. Here's why he didn't have any records for. A minute, and that may have well happened to Johnny Utah because he did kind of uh, go back and forth between being a FBI agent and being a bank robber. Again, playing both sides, blending the yeah. lines. I like that, Keith Murray. Moving on, we're gonna go with a newer action star in a newer action movie franchise, also played portrayed by Keanu Reeves. See what I did there, John Wick. The the John Wick movies have there's uh, three of them all together. In development, though, is a movie called Ballerina, which is an offshoot of John Wick, and a movie about the Continental, the hotel where all of the uh, where all of the uh, wow. the hitmen stay. And so, there's also, a, I'm assuming, there's a John Wick Four as well, right? There's a John Wick Four, but because of COVID, has been pushed back, and because uh, the directors of the John Wick movies are also working on the Matrix Four. So John Wick movie, John Wick Four is going to be seen in 2022 as of right now, but... Can't wait. <laughs> so, John Wick. So who is the John Wick of coaching? Who is the John Wick of coaching? Okay, so, all right, let's talk about John Wick for a second. John Wick, uh, first of all, I love those movies. <laughs> they are so much fun. I mean, you know, you have to kind of, again, those are great movies to watch stoned off your ass at 2.30 in the morning. I mean, honestly... That's like the perfect fucking movie to watch at 2.30 in the morning, still not the best. Uh, any of them. 
<laughs> any of them or all of them all at once. <laughs> but uh, another cool thing about John Wick is that the director of at least the, of all of them, I think, is a guy, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, it's Chad Stazowski or something. Dennis Lowski. I listen to the podcast. He's a very, very intelligent guy. He sure is. And he used to be a stunt man, a stunt coordinator. And he like befriended Keanu. He was like Keanu's stunt man, I think. I think so. I think his backstory was that that from the Matrix movies. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Um, He was Keanu's stunt man in the Matrix. And this kind of shows you something about Keanu's that they became friends and Keanu like put him on a little bit. He helped John Wick get made, you know, first of all, just by attaching himself because you, you get Keanu, you, you come to a studio executive and you have Keanu, you got a fucking movie. But uh, anyway, John Wick is someone who we're learning more about him as the series goes. But the things we know about him is he's probably the baddest man on the planet. <laughs> I mean, he kills people with, he shoots people in the face from like a foot away for things like, because they, they fucked up his dog. He just pretty much the John Wick movies are something happens to him or sometimes like nothing even happens to him. And you just go on a ride where he's just killing people for an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, again, awesome. Stone at two thirty one. Um, total badass. He, he has like principles and a will, very strong willpower. He, probably has some chips, but he's someone that people go after from time to time. And I'm going to say John Wick is Pat Summit, the late great Pat Summit, head coach of the Tennessee volunteer women's basketball team. One of the best head coaches of all time in any sport. John Wick is Pat Summit because they're both total badasses. They both don't give a fuck about anybody what they sit like, they know what they're doing. They know how they're going to execute their plan. And they're just, uh, they're going to kill everybody. (laughs) Um, Yeah, John Wick, the John Wick of coaching is Pat Summit. All right. So I hold these movies in pretty high regard because I think they're almost, uh, almost high art as far as when it comes to like the action movie genre. So I'm going to say John Wick, one, two, and three, and then whatever the option movies are going to be, I'm going to compare them to, I think Kendrick Lamar is the John Wick of the, uh, of the rap game. And here's my reasons why. We know that these uh, Kendrick Lamar records are very good, and I think we'll even appreciate them even more 20 years down the road, just like the John Wick character. Because right now, I don't know if he's in the, he's in the running as far as like best action movie characters. Right now. Currently, I, I, I agree. He's def, he's 100% in the running. Yeah. And arguably, you could put him at the very top. 20 years from now, he could be the greatest action movie star or action movie character, just like Kendrick Lamar's records. And I'm thinking of the, the three in a row, uh, Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, and The Pimper Butterfly, followed by... Untitled, and what was the last one that just came out? Damn. Damn. So that's how I consider the John Wick movies. It's like a natural good progression of things getting better. Now, the offshoots of those movies, which haven't come out yet, but I'm going to watch them anyway, is basically Thundercat or Schoolboy Q. 
and so, uh, Ter- Terrence Martin maybe in there yeah. as well. Uh, like, didn't know too much about it, but I know they were featured on songs. Well, and they're dope. And they're dope. So yeah. <laughs> when Ballerina comes out, I'm going to see that. When the Continental comes out, I'm going to see that. Definitely. Like I bought that Thundercat record, and just like I bought that Schoolboy Two record. That is, he is the Kendrick Lamar of, oh. of rap. Awesome. And finally, finally, I saved maybe the best for last. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about this movie franchise. It is definitely one of the bigger franchises in, in action movies, and that is Ryan O'Connor. Ryan O'Connor, played by the late, great Paul Walker. He is in Paul Walker, or Ryan O'Connor, that is. They're one and the same. Who knows? He is in <laughs> Fast and the Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, and Furious Seven. His films have grossed over five billion dollars. That's I can't. I if you could see my face right now. I mean, I know how. Like putting Paul Walker. That's insane. (laughs) That's insane. That's so. That's like the most successful. That's 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 insane. Anyway, keep uh, giving me the stats. It is the 10th most successful film franchise in history. Wow. So what's probably, what's, what's got to be more than that? The Star Wars movies. Star Wars, what uh, are we calling like Marvel movies or, or like Marvel Iron Man's, Man. you know? You want to be more specific? Wow. Lord of the Rings, like is that Lord of the Rings? Do they call that an action movie? I, I don't know how they categorize these things. They're just, just film franchises. Oh, film franchises. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, so it definitely is up there, right? So, well, James Bond. James Bond, that makes sense. Harry Potter, Jurassic Park. Uh, I always forget that they've still, they're still making Jurassic Park movies. They are, yeah. The yeah. Batman movies, the X-Men's. But these are all what makes this different and why Fast and Furious is, so, is such a juggernaut. It's like all of these actually have a former backstory. The Marvel the Mar- MCUs or have comic books. The Harry Potter movies have Harry Potter books. The Avengers have the comic books. Spider-Man has the comic books. X-Men has the comic books. Batman has the comic books. James Bond is movies that stretch over the course of 50 years. There are books. And then you get to Jurassic Park, which has got their backstory. And then you get to the Fast and Furious. So, like, as far as, like, a standalone franchise, it's probably the most successful standalone franchise without a backstory to it. Also, that make that gives them the lice. Like they just make the shit up. They make the. I haven't seen that many of them. I've only seen a few. But I do. I am a big fan of the podcast. Uh, How did this get made? Shout out to, to How did this get made? They talk about all of those movies all the time. And the funny thing is, is that you know characters like they come and go. They're like character. They kill. Char- they supposedly kill characters off to bring them back in the next movie because there is no backstory. They're all just making it all up so they can just change it whenever they want. <laughs> it's kind of genius from a writer's perspective, honestly. They just, they just keep chugging along. So in a way, without having a something to, to grow on formally, like a comic book series or a children's series of children's books, they're probably the most successful film franchise of all time. You can make a case for that. I that's off other movies. Um, I'm gonna go sink myself into a deep, deep depression after hearing that. Um, that that's the most successful franchise in the history of the world. Not having it without having a backstory. Without having a backstory, yes, I agree. That well, that is a good way to look at it. 
a text that people could buy and follow. Blah, blah, blah. But it is just, it's so impressive. I mean, she, you know, how they've been able to get so many people to go see those movies. I mean, it's, it's insane. And there's something there, right? Okay. So coaches or what, what, am I, what are we doing? What coach? For, for like the Fran, for uh, the Paul Walker, for the Paul yeah. Walker character. Let's talk about this character a little bit more. I, like I said, I don't know. I've only seen a, hand, a couple of them, but definitely, you know, he's a prominent character in the first one. And he's another one of these guys, kind of like a Johnny Utah. He plays both sides. He, he is someone who become, he actually, I think, basically switches sides, right? I mean, as the movies no. go along. Fast and the Furious basically is point break. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, essentially the same movie. But but uh, further along the franchise, he does he becomes part of their crew, right? Okay, and so it's somebody who I would say Paul Walker though, and and that character he is especially in the first one. You know, he's like the moral conscious or or, or whatever. But he's probably not the main character, or he's not the he's not the exciting one. But and and more to your to your point of like the villains being being uh more exciting vin diesel not a villain but he's like an anti-hero and paul walker they like need each other right they need each other so we're looking for a coach who needed like a guy who was like a coach on the court so i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you tyron Lue. Because he wasn't really coaching that team. He wasn't really driving it. Tyron Lue, coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers when they won the championship. LeBron was coaching that team. LeBron was making those calls. He was coaching that team. And Vin Diesel was driving those movies. And, and, and you know, I would hate, I, I would talk shit about Tyron Lue. But at the same time, like, he's necessary. You need a coach. He's, he, he called timeouts. He did. <laughs> He did things that were necessary. And Paul Walker, you need that character. You need that moral compass, that, that the good guy, so to speak. And, and, you know, then you can, you can blur those lines a bit, just like you can blur the lines and who was actually making the decisions with Tyron Lue versus LeBron James. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a bit of a pushback on that one. Okay. Uh, the reason why is uh, Tyron Lue has only won the one championship. And Paul Walker's won multiple chips? Ryan O'Connor, I think, has won at least four. Woof. Woof. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to take that. Well, okay, I'm going to say then. See, I kind of want to make him Phil Jackson. You know, I'll, I don't want to make everything about the Bulls. Um, but I kind of want to make him Phil Jackson because the same logic follows in that Bill Jackson, one of the greatest coaches, one of the best teams, not only the Bulls, but the Lakers as well. And, but in both instances, he had a guy. He had his guy who, you know, Michael Jordan with the Bulls, Kobe Bryant, although Shaq, Shaq as well, but Kobe Bryant specifically, especially later, um, who, you know, and, and Phil Jackson, one of the reasons why he is one of the greatest coaches, you know, especially after talking about Tyron Lue, is he actually gave his players the freedom to make decisions and, and gave them power, the, the guys that he trusted, which, you know, would be the Jordans and, and the Pippins and the Shaqs and the, and the, the Kobe's in that, like, 
you know, he, he was one of these coaches. One of the great things that Phil Jackson did that I wish fucking NBA coaches did right now, which is at the end of the game, if there are like 10 seconds left and your team has the ball, the other team scored, Phil Jackson would not call a timeout. He would just let them run the play because he didn't want to give the opposing team time to strategize and think about what they would do. And he trusted his team and he had Michael Jordan uh, and Scottie Pippen and Phil and uh, Kobe Bryant and Shaq. And it's just like, they got the time. They don't need to talk about it. They, they can make those decisions. And Paul Walker didn't need to give Vin Diesel. I mean, he was very battled with him sometimes, but, but Vin Diesel didn't need it. He didn't need the, the coaching as much. So uh, yeah. Paul, Paul Walker is the Phil Jackson. Brian O'Connor is the Phil Jackson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you halfway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this, is what I, this is what I think what's what, uh, what you're missing here. Um, uh, because I'm going to keep the Chicago related. Phil Jackson is probably the best comp. But now that you, that as you mentioned that, that, uh, that Vin Diesel's character is probably the best character, let's just say that Vin Diesel's character is Phil Jackson and Paul Walker it's Jim Clemens. <laughs> oh shit! Or Tex Winter, or um, or any of the great assistant coaches that did not get in, like got a lot of credit in Chicago, but did not get a lot of credit. Who's the other one I'm looking for? Frank Hamblin. I mean, I right. go deep on those coaches from the '90s. Which is, like, the moment um, you said Vince was probably the, the more compelling character, I was like, you're probably right. You, that is awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's basically, the, in essence, it's like Phil uh, Jackson probably the, is one, but you needed, needed Jim Clemens. Tex uh, Winter. He needed Tex Winter. I, yeah. I'm going to make it Tex Winter because Tex Winter was so, he was the architect of the triangle offense. Tex, it's, it comes from Tex Winter and, you know, or so like we could even make it, ooh, how about this? I'm going to even go... Again, you know, I am Chicago fucking through and through. I, I am sorry. <laughs> but uh, actually, I'm not sorry. Go fuck yourself. Uh, um, but the same could be true for Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan. Okay? So, so the Bears coach of the 1985 Bears, who uh, Mike Ditka gets all the credit, but Buddy Ryan, the defensive coordinator, the team fucking loved him. They, first of all, they wrote a, a letter to the management the next season to bring him back or they would walk and they brought him back for one more season. Um, but him and Dick could not get along, which Paul Walker and Vin Diesel in those movies definitely have butted heads and, and not, not agree, but they did come together to win a chip and to maybe to be the greatest, one of the greatest football teams ever. Like we are saying that this is one of the most successful movie franchises ever. So in that scenario, Phil Jack, or uh, I'm sorry, Vin Diesel is the Mike Ditka and Paul Walker is Buddy Ryan. Okay, all right. And to close it all out, I'm going to give you the rap equivalent of Brian O'Connor. I'm going to say Drake. And the reason why I say Drake is because, like, I haven't listened to a lot of the Drake records front to back, but I will take a sniff from time to time, which is how I feel about the Fast movies. I will watch those movies when they come on TV, but when they come out of the theater, it's kind of not for me, not, not in their age group. Nothing against those movies, nothing against Drake and his records. They're, in essence, not for me. But I'll give you, like, the one but is, like, I will give it a listen when it suits me. And sometimes those movies are great for background. It's like, no, I haven't seen this fast movie. What is this one about? This sounds preposterous. What is this Drake album about? That sounds ridiculous. I will give it a listen. I think that's perfect. 
of the rap game. I think that's perfect. And I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll add to it and say, you know, kind of what you were saying in that, like, I don't necessarily want to put on a Drake album and listen to the whole thing front to back. But I will admit fully that there's some fucking tracks on there on every Drake album that, you know, I'm singing days later. I mean, the guy makes catchy fucking tunes. And also, he sells. People love him. He's one of the highest grossing guys. He sells. And for him to be, you know, I, I, I love that. And, and the same with the Fast and Furious is that I really don't want to put on, or, or and let's put it this way. If I put it on, I am going to be putting it on stone at two in the morning. And I'm not going to be focusing on the whole thing. I'm going to key in on certain things on when like some explosion shit happens or some absolutely fucking ridiculous shit. Like they jump a car from one side of a mountain to another side or, or jump onto a plane with a car or some fucking insane shit. And like, uh, you know, that's the equivalent of Hotline Bling, which is a dope track to listen to and vibe out to, you know, but not like, not... Not Nas. There was um, a that you could not avoid that song. No, and you can't avoid Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, like you got in a car, you got in a car from like, a, like you were calling a car service from somewhere, that's what they were listening to. Or if you were at a restaurant or anywhere, yeah. I mean, yes. A bodega for a solid six months, that song was everywhere. That and his, uh, his countryman's uh, The Weeknd was another, another. There was, a, there was a moment I was like, this song is everywhere. Just like the Fast and Furious movies. I think the those are... Hobbs and Shaw of the fucking Fast movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I like that. I feel, I feel really good about this uh, conversation of, of uh, action movies and, and coaches and, and, and rappers. And I think we should, we should wrap up this uh, who is the who of what. And I want to I wanna just pose one more thing to wrap it up. Because, you know, we're talking about rappers and, and we talked a little bit about groups and, and whatnot, but there's a, a rap group that I, I think you would agree with is one of the, the best and, and just my fa- one of my favorite rap groups of all time, and that is Outkast. Outkast, undeniably one of the best groups ever together. They're one of, they're t- one of the best duos ever, Andre 3000 and Big Boy. And also, separately, they're fantastic. And, and but... But more so, I don't want to look at them individually. I want to look at their albums. And I want to, they have five albums. So we're looking at Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, uh, Atle- ATLians or Atlians, however you want to pronounce it, uh, Stankonia, or Aquemini, I'm sorry, Aquemini in chronological order, uh, Stankonia, and then Speaker Box Love Below, which technically is two albums, but we're going to treat that as one album. So that's five, five records. And I want you to give me the action movie of those records. And we can do it mostly of, of ones from the franchises we have already discussed, but you can pick from each different franchises. So we're, we're talking about John Wick. We're talking about Die Hard. We are talking about Fast and Furious, Alien movies, and, you know, Point Break. So you can take any of movies that are in there and give me the out, your Outcast albums. So I'm not going to go ahead and use the characters already used because I'm just going to show you guys my wealth of knowledge as far as action movies and action movie characters. So let's start with Southern Playlistic, Cadillac Music. I'm going to go and give you, so this is like a, a record that I, I, I remember buying the first time, I, I guess in 1994, with some uh, Get Up, Get Out, some great songs on that record. I still have it on cassette tape somewhere oh, in my apartment. It's in a box somewhere. I can't give it up because of the nostalgia. <laughs> 
I'm going to give you, considering this is like other discography is one of my favorites, I'm going to give you Roadhouse. Uh, and the reason why I say Roadhouse is because Roadhouse is very watchable. Saved in my DVR. I've watched it at least once or twice every like two or three months, especially if I'm bartending, I get to kick somebody out. And Roadhouse is a 36 by 24 poster in my apartment. Roadhouse. Yes. So what's number two? Number two would be uh, that's uh, Italians, right? Yep. Um, uh, I always get these movies confused, but I find them to be very, very fun and very fun to watch. And I'm just going to say the actor, and then I'm just going to say all his movies that he's in because I find his movies because I think that's all he, all he does. He's basically English as Jackie Chan, and I'm gonna go Jason Statham. And I, I don't know his name of the characters in Crank. I think it's just called Mechanic. No, uh, in Crank, I do know this. His, oh, name, his, name, his, actor. his, name, his name is Chev Chelios. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I only remember that because it's the most, I mean, Chev Chelios. <laughs> uh, also, that movie is one of the most terrible, worst, cringeworthy, fun experience. Like, two hours you can spend, like, you just have to not want to have your head explode uh, from thinking about it too much, but it's super fun. Yeah. So, and then follow it up with, was that a, that's a Quimini, correct? Yes. A Quimini, I'm going to give that one to, to speed. And the reason why is that Quimini is, is, it's a longer of the, of the, of the records. I think it goes up to like 20 tracks, but it just moves uh, I, I could do without some of the skits, if I remember correctly. There's a couple of skits I'm like not that into, but like it, it the way it ends, the spotty out it so delicious and like that oh, end of the record. Uh, it's kind of like the part of the movie in which you see uh, Jeff Daniels die. You're like, oh shit, this is I was not expecting that sort of thing. I think so. that Equimini is their best record. I mean, I think personally, my my two personal favorites are Equimini and Southern Play, Alyssa Cadillac. Movie. Although the other three, I think are phenomenal as well and speed is speed is a speed is a good hang that's a, a super great action movie super quick good uh philip great philip seymour hoffman is in it uh right he's the he's the sidekick or it's jeff daniels jeff daniels yeah. it's jeff daniels i'm sorry jeff daniels who's awesome and who the bad guy is dennis hopper, oh, dennis hopper. yes of course and he's a hopper, which is like yeah they basically just like, just like, all right, your motivation is just be yourself. Just be you. Just be the maniac you are. <laughs> so what's after that is Stankonia. Stankonia is, that's the record where I felt like everything was. was it's the bad. most pop, you know, commercially successful record, yeah, certainly. Uh, and it's the most hits. Crushing Clean, and they made more videos. Miss Jackson. On that record. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to give you Lethal Weapon. Because, like, uh, I haven't listened to Stankonia in forever, and I haven't watched Lethal Weapon in forever. But if I was to put that on, the move, put the movie on, or the record on, I would probably go, damn, I forgot how good this was. And this is a bit of a game changer as far as, oh, it's like these dudes who I thought were, were doing this one thing slowly switched the game, and now they're selling records. And Mel Gibson and, and uh, Danny Glover were not uber famous 
that movie be- made them famous. Yeah, Mel Gibson was like on this. Yeah, he was on a trajectory. He was becoming the heartthrob or whatever the fuck. Yeah, he, was, he was on a trajectory. He was um, on and Danny Glover. Danny Glover's known for the color purple and some theater stuff. So Sanconio kind of made them famous because like it did take I them. Yeah. Kids who didn't know them buying Atelians is and uh, but I remember a lot of kids who were sort of them buying like buying that record. Yes, that that uh, Sanconia was definitely the record that yeah that everybody bought. I mean um, that like bridge bridge the gap and uh, I saw them on on the tour. I saw them on tour on the Stankonia tour twice actually. I saw them once in a smaller club venue with the opener was ludicrous. Oh, wow. uh, it was like it maybe the best concert I've ever. Been to. <laughs> um, but and, uh, finally, speaker box and the love below. So, of the records, is probably my least favorite, even though I find it very, very listenable. There's some tracks on it. I want to say I like Big Boy's uh, album better than uh, Andre's, because Andre's is kind of like all over the place. It's like, I like a song prototype. Um, there's enough there to like, as an album, I, I give it like a B. So, I'm going to give you a B action movie, a movie that I actually thoroughly enjoy. Just like I would probably thoroughly enjoy if I was to put it on. I bought I bought a speaker box a little below the weekend came out. I saw Den of Thieves the weekend it came out. <laughs> if you're just looking for mindless entertainment, it is very very good. I, uh, I I I I like that. I haven't seen Den of Thieves, but I, I do know that people like that I like and respect you being one of them are, uh, are super into it. They're ba- they're basically just like it's got yeah. a following. No, they're basically saying it's like we know when this movie, the time of year this movie's gonna come out in January. Obviously, all the, the big big Oscar movies, like we're gonna put out a movie. There is we're just for this movie is just for those people who are like, oh, action movie, sign me up. Gerard Butler and Lee Schreiber and Fifty Cent. <laughs> so basically, they were saying they're like uh, Andre and uh, and Big Rose, like they're telling fans like, hey, we got a record coming out. It's it's me. It's your boy. And people are like, sign me the fuck up. I don't care what's on that record. I'm fucking there. And that's how I thought about Den of Thieves. So Den of Thieves is the love box and speaker below of the action movies. I, I, uh, not good. I mean, not great, but good. Speaker box and the love below. I love that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with that. And now I want to watch Den of Thieves. Um, uh, it's, it's so good. It's so awesomely bad back to up. <laughs> That's kind of like what we, what I'm looking for in an action movie, honestly. All right. Well, I, I feel, I feel good about this, this uh, episode's who is the who of what. I think uh, we should move this along to our, our next and final segment, which is where we talk about where, what we're looking forward to and what we're watching. And, and, and that could be, you know, what we're actually watching with uh, on TV and stuff or what we're watching in, in the world. And I'm going to go ahead and start that off. I, I want to say that I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. When thinking about what I'm looking forward to this week, it was tough. It was tough to think of. But I think that I found a way to, you know, talk about and think about things that are happening, but also not be super depressed and think everything is so terrible. I'm just going to say we haven't talked a ton of current sports or, or what's going on. But, you know, last time I, I, I was talking about canceling the baseball season and they haven't yet. They haven't yet because Rob Manfred is the commissioner is being like, absolutely not. Well, not. Well, not. And it's like, well, ah, when is a player or a coach going to die and you're going to cancel the season? 
But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What I'm looking forward to is the continued cancellation of things. <laughs> because honestly, it's a thing that, you know, we need to do as a society right now because we're in the middle of a pandemic that's killed over 150,000 people. That being said, schools, first thing, this is already happening. New York is dragging their feet because of our awesome, I hope you can tell the sarcasm in my voice. When it's awesome. <laughs> uh, you got to use your plastic text. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, um, yeah, our leadership, or, or lack thereof, has not gone to remote learning, um, has not committed to do all remote learning starting when schools open in September. They are the last major school district that have not made this decision yet. Chicago just said that they're not going to be starting the, the year with any in-person learning. And look, I know that this is a complicated issue and I know that it's a logistical nightmare as far as, you know, if kids can't go to school and, and where they're going to go and what parents are going to do and how parents can work from home and, and all this. But like I said, so many people in this country have died from COVID and we have seen that our federal leadership is, you know, doesn't give a fuck about us and doesn't know the first thing about what they're doing and, and how to do this. That being said, we need to take things into our own hands and we need to kind of be demanding, you know, that we can't be putting our, our students and our teachers and all of our staff, school staff members at risk. I want to say that. So the thing is, is that we need to be pushing for safety in schools. And there's one thing to say that, but but also I would say that if you're interested in, in just even learning more about this, uh, you should look into... DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, their they're, uh, demand safe schools action because they're making like a bunch of different demands, not, not only to not go back until it is scientifically proven to be safe to do so, but also to get police out of schools and all these things that were, are necessary to kind of build like this better society, a better country that we all, all kind of want. That's what I want to say about that. I also want to say just on the canceling things. Uh, we also need to put pressure on Andrew Cuomo to cancel rent. Cancel rent for everybody that is commercial and individuals. I mean, so many people are out of a job right now or on unemployment, which as we know, it, the extra is running out and all this shit and, you know, it is very depressing. But again, this work is being done and this fight is being fought. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, some really awesome stuff going on as far as the cancel rent movement and the, the uh, housing justice movement that's happening. One is housing justice for all an organization to really look into and, and check out. And another is crown Heights tenant union. They're doing awesome stuff. And then there's many, many more organizations. I encourage everyone to do research. This, this, the point that I'm trying to make is this stuff is out there. People are fighting this fight and it's on us, especially us, straight cisgendered white men to find out about this stuff going on and to be to be there and to be to be in it um you know so like i said those guys are doing really awesome stuff should should look into that uh that being said i i know i haven't it's been hard to focus on 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 uh culture and entertainment and stuff that being said there is one thing i am really looking forward to getting into i i uh I have, I have, uh, I'm late to the game, unfortunately, but I, I need to catch up, which is W. Kamau Bell's CNN show, United Shades of America. It airs every Sunday. It's, he, you know, he's a stand-up comedian, but really dropping a lot of knowledge and, and just making really interesting programming and, and, and thinking about things and 
it's it's awesome. I highly recommend it. It's kind of the only reason to watch CNN. CNN as a network should be like all that, all shows like that, and like old episodes of fucking Bourdain and shit would be one of the greatest great networks. But uh, yeah, so W. Kamau Bell, and uh, you know, cancel everything <laughs> for for safety's sake, guys. For safety's sake, not just to cancel stuff, but for safety's sake. All right, George, uh, what are what are you uh, what are you looking forward to? What um, uh, I'm looking forward to the PGA Championships. It's the uh, the first major in golf this weekend. It's being played out west, and the weather is supposed to be just like typical Northern California weather, probably reaching up as high as 60. For those of you who know, Sunday afternoon, when it's hungover, listening to golf or having golf in the background is probably the most soothing thing that you can have. Because there's a lot of guys whispering. It's like, uh, it's like with the approach. <laughs> <laughs> And there's just something about that, lying down and feeling like crap and eating crappy food that you order from the from a bodega, a ham and egg on a on a on a toasted bagel, and a Gatorade and some Advil and a water and listen to Jim Nance just whisper into my ear. It's quite possibly the closest that I'll ever get to heaven. <laughs> I hope not for your <laughs> sake, but but that does sound nice. Speak nothing's into my ear, Jim Nance, the greatest announcer. On TV today, um, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And my guy Dustin Johnson is going to be playing this weekend. Hopefully, he makes the cut. I like Dustin Johnson because, like, uh, my favorite story whenever anything happens to an athlete is like so and so was hurt at home. Paul Wall got hurt at home. Not Paul Wall. John Wall. Got <laughs> I hope Paul Wall didn't get hurt. John Wall got hurt at home. Dustin Johnson got hurt at home. Whenever you hear an athlete get hurt, get hurt, getting hurt at home, that is code for they got fucked up and slipped on the rug. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, and like cut cut themselves with a paring knife. Like that's exactly. I, that's been a story before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you were you were you were getting fucked up, and you thought it'd be funny to slide across the rug. Yeah, before your ACL. That's six to eight weeks, bro. Not funny. Yeah, it's like that's everybody knows what that's code for. Yeah. And rumor has it Dustin Johnson likes to party, or do like to party. Uh, his wife's uh, his father-in-law is Wayne Gretzky. And even he was like, listen, if you're going to marry my daughter, you need to fucking chill the fuck out. <laughs> oh, my man, Dustin Johnson, slipping on rugs, drinking beers, playing this weekend. And I'm uh, a big fan of his, only because apparently he throws down. <laughs> That's uh, news to me. I, uh, I'm going to become a golf fan. Now. the PGA Championship all, all weekend this weekend. Awesome. Um, Great. Well, uh, any any last thoughts? Anything else you want to say to the people out there, George? No. Um, uh, take care of yourselves and wear your mask over your fucking nose. What's wrong with you people who don't do that? And uh, if your dog is barking like a crazy person, just maybe just shouldn't bring it to bars. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with that. Let's uh, let's end this and say I hope everybody stays safe and healthy and uh thanks for listening we'll see you next week cover your nose (laughs) all right we're out